All right, gang, let's really nail it this time. Here we go. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. You're listening to the Khaki Sports Podcast. And here's your host, Luke Crabb. Welcome back to the Khaki Sports Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your host, Luke Crabb. On today's show, I have two guests who come on and talk about their professional careers and how they're going. But before I get into that, news broke this week that Kyrie Irving wanted a trade from the Cavaliers' front office. This came as a shock to a lot of people, and quite frankly, I'm not that surprised. I don't think the Cavs' front office has done themselves any favors in trying to hang on to Kyrie. They added Derrick Rose later this week, which is all but guaranteed that Kyrie is going to move on somewhere else. Slam Magazine reported Friday night that Kyrie wants to go play for the Knicks. I find it hard to believe right now that he wants to go and play for the Knicks considering how dark their future seems to be. The Knicks' front office has been in the center of attention this offseason with Phil Jackson's situation, and I'd be surprised if Kyrie really wants to go to New York. They got two stars on the roster right now with Melo and Porzingis. A lot of talk of Melo trying to get out of New York. If you add Kyrie to the equation and keep those two, I'm not sure if that solves the problem either. Melo isn't the same. He's 32 years old now. He's declining. Last season, the only number that was above his career average was his three-point percentage, and that was only by 1%. The best place for Kyrie to land right now is with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Some people aren't aware of this, but Kyrie only played 11 games while he was at Duke. He, he was still the first pick in the NBA draft. He played in 11 games, and he still was the first pick. He did enough to prove himself to NBA scouts in 11 games. I see it this way. I think Kyrie's tired of playing second fiddle to the LeBron show in Cleveland. Kyrie is the one who hit the big shot to seal the finals championship two years ago. He's the one who sparked the comeback. It wasn't LeBron, it was Kyrie. Against Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals this year, it was Kyrie that carried LeBron. So with that in mind, I think it's important. This is the same guy that didn't even have to hardly play in college to be the first pick. He goes to Cleveland, he's the man for a few years. He does all this when LeBron's on the team, and he's still in LeBron's shadow. Kyrie's tired of the lack of recognition he's getting, and quite frankly, I can't blame him at all. Looking at the future of the NBA, Minnesota's the spot that Kyrie needs to try and go to. Minnesota has two solid young players, and they've added a top 20 player in Jimmy Butler. Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, and Kyrie Irving, that's four legitimate superstars in the next three years. I'm going to wrap up my thoughts with this. If you're playing for a finals championship as every team should be, then you're building to beat one team right now, the Golden State Warriors. They have a super team that includes four stars. Those four stars are all around the same age, but the oldest of those four is Steph. He turns 30 next year. The four stars, if they add Kyrie, the oldest one would be Jimmy Butler, who's 27. Minnesota should be doing all they can to place themselves as the next super team to replace the Warriors. So the MLB trade deadline's less than 48 hours away. There's still four guys that I want to talk about on the show. I'll talk about two before the first interview, and then after the first interview, I'll talk about the next two. The first guy that's on my radar is Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray's contract is through 2019. He had a rough 2016, but he's bounced back nicely with an ERA a little over three. To acquire him, it's going to take a top 100 prospect in baseball. Somebody I could see making a move for him is the Yankees. I think the A's would try to go after Clint Frazier. The Yankees are going for it this year. 
I think the Yankees would definitely be able to land Sonny Gray if Glaber Torres, their number two prospect right now, was healthy, but he is injured, which leaves Clint Frazier. And I'm not sure if they're willing to do that, but Sonny Gray is the best guy right now available in my eyes right before the trade deadline. The next guy I see getting moved is Yu Darvish. He's a rental deal, so he's gone after this season. Something interesting about Darvish, he has a 10-team no-trade list. This list includes some contenders, including Boston, Chicago, and Colorado. Now, before I heard this list, I thought the Dodgers or Houston were likely to try and nab him because of the farm system they have right now. But Houston being in the Rangers division, I don't think it's likely they're willing to give them Darvish. I think chances are he's going to end up in L.A. with the Dodgers. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Rangers go after Walker Bueller, who's the number 13 prospect in baseball right now. He sports a triple-digit fastball. Coming off of Tommy John surgery, he's looked good this year in double-A. Although I would be surprised to see the Dodgers agree to this deal, but with how strong they've looked this far in the season, it looks like they're going to try and go for it. If they could add you Darvish to that rotation, I think it would be hard to find a baseball fan that doesn't agree that the Dodgers are now the favorites. But I'm going to get into my first interview, and today I have on Indianapolis Colt tight end Mo Cox. Mo has a pretty interesting story. He was a power forward in basketball at VCU for the last five years. Early on in his college basketball career, NFL scouts took notice of his size, physical presence on the court. This eventually led to a pro workout with 30 NFL teams. He chose to sign with the Colt. It's an interesting storyline with the connection between football and basketball at the tight end position. So here's my interview with Mo Alley Cox of the Indianapolis Colts. I'd like to welcome to the podcast Mo Alley Cox, tight end from the Indianapolis Colts. Mo, you got to camp yesterday. How's it feel? It felt good. I mean, today was actually the first day of, we kind of call it QB school. It's not really camp yet because the vets don't get here until Saturday. But, I mean, it's going to be just getting back in the field and get that off to, like, just train and just work our bodies a little bit. So now we're really starting to get back to the grind. When was the first time you realized football in the NFL was a real possible option for you? I mean, I've always realized it all throughout college. I thought about it towards January of my senior year, but I didn't make a final decision until after our final NCAA tournament game. I took like a week or two off, thought about what team they had, and the team they had, and then made the decision and went and did it. So at one point in college, Jason Witten came to watch you play uh, basketball. Did you get a chance to talk to him? Yeah, I talked to him. Um, he actually went to high school with one of our assistant coaches. So he came up to visit, and it just it just so happened that I was getting scouted by the NFL. So they had me talk to him. Uh, we compared hands. Just had um, a small talk conversation. And he just said that if it was something I wanted to do in the future, I definitely have the body size and the tools to do it. Just if I want to do it, so people told me that. I read that you showed up to VCU not in good enough shape for Coach Shaka Smart, and he was pretty hard on you. Can you talk a little bit about that? I want to say I wasn't in good shape. It's just being in shape and average is a whole different type of shape. I mean, it wasn't more being shape; it's just my motor continuing to do things over and over at a relentless effort, and just keeping it going throughout the course of a game and the course of a practice. And, Really, I was in bad shape, but my motor wasn't where really to be to play in the Division One level, especially playing the Olympics. So that's why the biggest thing I worked on. That's why I probably wanted to pump it up now all the time because I had to keep my motor going. But also, my conditioning was also awesome. Those are just two big things we try to work on. You know, one of the cool things to me being a VCU was just seeing that fan base rally around that team, and that kind of started with Shaka in the Final Four appearance. Uh, what was it like to play in front of a sellout crowd every home game? 
Um, it was amazing. I mean, at the tunnel, you know, the band playing, the crowd going crazy. Every game I played in my college school, I sold out at home at least. I got that little space and the Seagull Center not sold out, which is it just shows um, how great our fan base is because it's not like that at other school. So it just gives you a different level of appreciation for the fans that you have because you can easily go somewhere else and they could care less about the basketball program. A lot of schools just put that program. So it just, I just, I was a little appreciative of that. So you actually planned to play both football and basketball in high school. You transferred to Middleburg Academy, focused on basketball. Would you go back and change that if you could? Would I go back and change it? No, definitely not. I mean, playing, it just, it's so easy in the city of Richmond. And I probably had the best four or five years of my life going to VC, so I don't think I would change that at all. Who was the first person you told when you decided to sign with the Colts? I had got the phone call from my agent. I was in my, the office with Sophia, my academic advisor, and um, Doug Brooks. It was us three in there, so I didn't even have a chance to like, call my mom yet. And the news broke as soon as my agent told me. So as soon as that happened, they were the first two in there, so I told them, then I called my mom immediately. So the offensive coordinator right now in Indy is Rob Chunzinski. Coach Chunzinski is the coach that coached Antonio Gates through a smooth transition from basketball to football. How important is it to have Coach Chudzinski as the offensive coordinator? It's very important because um, he's worked with great players over his career, and he also worked with Gates, who also made the transition. He was with him in his early years. So just having him there with me is just um, another resource I can use while making my transition because he's a great coach and he's also very patient with me and always helps me out whenever I I ask him questions. Yeah, I'm sure that's huge. I grew up in Kansas City, so I I grew up watching Tony Gonzalez. Um, But Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Jimmy Graham, Julius Thomas, all four all-pro tight ends with college basketball experience. Uh, What would you say that connection is between playing power forward and tight end? I would just say some trace that matches like the physicality um, you got to be physical to play both positions, and it's like going up the jump balls or like different things like that. Because you do that in football and basketball, you're doing that because you're going up for rebounds and stuff like that. So I would say those are probably the closest connection. You got and you got to be versatile. Today's game, power forward is a versatile position, so you're going in numerous positions. So I say be versatile as well. So the support group actually doesn't stop with Coach Chudzinski. Um, you got Eric Swope there who made the transition from basketball to football. He's part of the tight end core in Indianapolis. That's got to be huge knowing that Swope went through the same thing a few years back. Kind of talk to talk about that relationship. So great guy. I mean, he answers any questions that I have. Like, he was talking about how he didn't play like any F until his second year, which is pretty much what they have me doing right now. I play a little F, but I'm mainly at the line, which is He's, the F is like the person who moves around the wires, mainly on the line and doing the dirty work, stuff like that. So that's what he has me going. But um, whenever I have any type of questions, he helps me in the weight room. He always has his doing extra stuff, like working on abs or different um, exercises after. And he's just a hard worker, so I just try to follow his lead because even though he came from playing basketball, he's one of the most respected persons in the locker room. So I just try to look up to him and just try to um, follow his lead every day on the field, off the field, and different things like that. Keep mentioning stuff about working out. What would you say the big difference is between the uh, two sports as far as strength and conditioning goes? I would say the tempo, uh, basketball tempo is way quicker than football. So, like, I have way more time to catch my breath than like a lot of the football stuff. Whereas in basketball, you're exhausted and you're going to the next condition, next, next drill, next drill, especially with Coach Golden, the style of play we played. So, 
obviously that's why they've been the biggest difference so far. You got to be excited to uh, catch some passes from Andrew Luck here soon when the veterans show up to camp. Oh yeah, definitely. Haven't caught any passes from him yet, but the big catch is one of the great quarterbacks that we have in our system. So I mean, looking forward to him getting back, but. I'm still just trying to get better every day. So when I get out there with him, I don't make him upset by messing up. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you got your head on right right now for sure. If you follow Mo on social media, you, you find out pretty quick he plays quite a bit of Madden. What team do you play with? I play with the Steelers because they have a variety of different weapons. And I also play with the Chiefs just because I like Tyreek Hill. And it's speed on the game. He catches an open field. A lot of people aren't catching him. And then I was play with... And in the Colts, I played the Colts just because I'm on the Colts now. I really didn't play with them before, but now that I know like a lot of players on the team and you see them on the game, it's like, whoa, I'm with these guys every day. Speaking of Madden, what would you give yourself on Madden right now if you had to give yourself a rating? It would be like a 60, 65. Like, I've never played football, so I don't expect my rating to be very high at all. <laughs> Let's pretend you, you, you stuck with basketball. What would your rating be in 2K right now? Okay, I think I'll give myself a 70. So finally, Mo, what's your goal for this season? And ultimately, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, my goal for this season is hopefully crack the 53-man roster and make a huge impact on special teams. Because as a young guy coming to the league, that's where you're going to have to make your mark um, once you first come in. But if not that, just hopefully earn a practice squad spot and just get better every day because I know there's a learning curve and I have a lot to, a lot to still learn. And in um, 10 years, hopefully a starting tight end for a team making Pro Bowls and hopefully have a Super Bowl ring at some point. So in 10 years, that's where I want to be. I want to thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate you giving me an interview. It says a lot about your character. You always heard on campus how great of a guy you really are and you doing this interview says a lot. You know, you got to training camp yesterday, and you took some time out of your day, so I appreciate it a lot, Mo. Yeah, no problem at all. I want to thank Mo again for coming on and giving me some time during training camp. Like we talked about, he's in a really good situation there with, with Coach Chudzinski, Eric Swope, and Andrew Luck. He's definitely a guy that people are going to need to keep an eye on in the coming years. But I want to get back to the MLB trade deadline and talk about the last two available guys that are likely to be moved here at the end of the deadline. The next guy is somebody my Royals have had a heavy dose of this year. That guy is Justin Wilson of the Tigers. He's had a phenomenal year as the closer in Detroit. He's sporting a 2.75 ERA with 12 saves. This is his first year as the closer in Detroit after the team released Francisco Rodriguez. The problem right now with doing business though with Detroit is they're trying to dump those big contracts that Verlander and Kinsler have and start rebuilding. But the big ticket item they have, in my opinion, is Justin Wilson. Rumors are that the Yankees are after him as well. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. The last guy I foresee some teams going after is Lance Lynn. I think he's one of those guys that's flown under the radar for a while because the Cardinals aren't typically somebody around this time that's a seller. If the Cardinals do decide to sell this guy, it'll be a great deal. If the Cards decide to deal Lynn, they're likely going to want back a top five organizational prospect. He's had a great year starting for St. Louis. He's flown underneath the radar with the Cardinals having a down year. He's got a 3.21 ERA this year. It'll be interesting moving forward. 
Now I'm going to play this interview I did with Logan Farrar. Logan's one of my old teammates. He was drafted in the 36th round by the Oakland Athletics this year. Logan hit the ground running when he got down to rookie ball in Arizona. We talk about what his first few months have been like in the minors, the difference between the college game and where he's at right now. He gives us a look inside the secluded world of minor league baseball. So here's my interview with Oakland Athletics organization outfielder Logan Farrar. All right, I want to welcome to the show Logan Farrar. Logan Farrar is an outfielder with the Oakland Athletics organization. Logan, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Can't complain. On the road right now. Yeah, where are you guys at right now? We are in Connecticut, Norwich, Connecticut, playing the Connecticut Tigers, the affiliate with the Detroit Tigers. Gotcha. So a lot of travel, a little bit different than college ball? Uh, yes. Right now I'm currently on day two of a six-day road trip in which we go to Connecticut for three days and then we head up to Albany or head down to Albany, New York for three days and then back up to uh, back up to Vermont. Take us through probably one of the coolest moments of your life whenever you got the call to be Oakland Athletic. Uh, let's see, where to start? Well, uh, I got drafted on the last day, which is obviously, you know, I'm fortunate for the opportunity, but uh, I actually got a call on day two and I think it might have been the sixth round from the Chicago Cubs asking me if I'd take a certain amount of money and uh, my school paid for it. And, uh, you know, I was a senior, so I understand how it works out. Seniors usually don't get a ton of money, but the money that they offered, I was like, hey, I wasn't expecting that much. So, yeah, I'll take it. So with that being said, I was expecting to hopefully hear a call from the Cubs that day on day two, anywhere between round six through ten as like a senior sign and a guy that they thought had a lot of potential. And so I kind of just stood by, waited, and uh, day two slowly came to a close, and I was like, well, what's going on here? Like, you guys just called me. You said, well, I take this. I said, yeah. So I thought we were pretty much set in stone. So, you know, day two actually came to a close, and I was not picked. So I thought maybe early day three. Day three came, <laughs> and, you know, I slowly watched round after round go by. So, you know, uh, it, it ended up to the point where I was just like, wow, I didn't expect to fall this low. Well, it got to the point where I said, all right, round uh, 20 to 25. Let's see. I should go here. Uh, those who go by, I'm like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give up. Like, in the rings of rings, but, you know, out of curiosity, you want it to happen for you. So I couldn't put my phone down. I, you know, I kept up with it, and I saw the picks go as they went, and I'm just like, wow, is this, is this about to be the end of it for me, you know? <laughs> I was like, I had to catch somebody's eye with what I did, but. Yeah, that was kind of my next question. Was there ever a time, I guess, that you thought there was a chance nobody would take you? Yeah, uh, definitely. Once once it got probably to like rounds after round twenty seven, twenty eight, I was like, huh, maybe maybe this is the end of it. Maybe I got to go back to school. I finished up the few classes I have and get the accounting degree. Um, but you know, I was like, I got to hang up the cleats here. You know, I jokingly said when I got the call, uh, I was like, wow, you guys are right on time because I was about to throw my cleats up on the power line. It, it was <laughs> over for me. Right. You right. know, I thought it was over. So. Yeah, definitely. There definitely was a time where I was just like coming in. I slowly, slowly, really slowly started coming to terms with the fact that this, this may be the end of it. <laughs> so a year before that was your junior season. And I think myself and a lot of your teammates and the people that watched you play at VCU or even in high school thought, you know, Logan's going to get called and Logan's going to get called. And slowly it just didn't happen. Do you look back on that and something you know you're like yeah i'm gonna prove these people wrong um yeah i definitely look back at it because i i think i was definitely still good enough and you know going into a year i was ranked one of the top prospects in the country by baseball america 
And so I was like, hey, I, I think I did enough to keep that spot and not drop. But, you know, after not being picked, it definitely served as a chip on my shoulder. But more so as going into my senior year to prove to teams and prove to people around the country in college that I was still a good player that got passed up on and uh, making sure I did enough not to get passed up on again. You know, that was definitely always in my mind. And it was disappointing. You know, uh, I went through the, the process of sitting down with, I held probably 20 scouts that fall, and uh, I even got calls from about five of them when the draft came around and not hearing my name. But I, I, was, I still understood that even though my name didn't get called, I had another year of school left. So I, I was still given another opportunity to get drafted and do what I had to do to take care of. So it definitely added fuel to the fire coming back to school as I wanted to leave no doubt in people's minds that I, I was a talent that should be playing pro ball, and I was one of the better players in my conference. During the draft your junior year, you were in the Cape Cod League. I'd like to hear what you have to say comparing the talent in the Cape Cod and what you're seeing right now in short season. You know, it's funny. Most, most of the guys who are in short season right now, we all we all played each other at one point in the Cape. Uh, I'd definitely say that the talent in the Cape and the talent here are, all for the most part, pretty similar. Um, obviously, you know, in short season, you have guys who are from other countries like Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico who are very talented as well. But for the most part, I mean, I think obviously short season is more consistent in a sense, but I think the talent level is, I think majority of those kids who are in Cape Cod League right now will be in short season once they're draft eligible. That I, That's how close I'd say they are. So staying on the topic of farm system baseball, after you're drafted, there's a little bit of fogginess, I feel like, from the average person who follows baseball. Take us through a little bit how that looks after you're drafted. Like, what's the next step? Where do you go? Yeah, so uh, after I was drafted, the, my area scout gave me a call, let them know if they were taking me, and then uh, he said, I'll get back to you at the end of the day once it's over. So once the draft is concluded, they send you out a text, and they say, hey, where do you want to fly out of? That's the first question they pretty much ask you. Where do you want to fly out of? Yeah. So you tell them where you want to fly out of. They book your ticket, and for the most part, you're going within the next two to three days. You know, you have two two days to pack, some people even a day, and you pack up and you you head out to where they have their big spring training facility. Every right. draft prospect does, unless you're still playing like in the college World Series or something like that. So we headed out. For, for me, it was Arizona, uh, the athletics department of Arizona League. And uh, so I headed out to Arizona to the spring training facility. I get there, check me into a hotel for a few days, and uh, I go through all the testing, you know, mobility testing, flexibility, things like that. Uh, you know, we had to pee in a cup, urine, blood work, all that stuff to make sure that, you know, now it was them, like, they kind of have you in a sense. Now they have to make sure that you are capable of playing, make sure nothing's wrong with you. Um, and, then, and then once you get through all that, you can finally get on the field to practice with all those guys that you meet while you're down there, you know. And, and from a player-to-player perspective, you know, I think, I think. well, with the A's, everybody was kind of just happy to be there, you know. Everybody's kind of just feeling each other out. Yeah, yeah. I think, for the most part, everybody has sense, like, you know, we're all here for a reason. We're all here because we're good. Like, nobody was like, hey, when did you get picked? How much money you got? That, that was never really a thing. You know, everybody's wanted to go out there and, like, bomb with one another and see what one another had on the field. But, you know, everybody kind of had a mutual respect, like, hey, in a sense that everybody's made it to this level so far, and let's continue to try to move forward. Yeah, so Logan's actually being a little bit modest right now. He got down to Arizona. He played nine games. He uh, he hit 486. 
Uh, OBP 561, his slugging was 800. And that's uh, that's saying something about Logan because I've had a lot of guys that played minor league baseball, and they say the hardest level is rookie ball because you face some arms down there that although they're pretty live, they don't know where the ball is going. So that's got to be, you know, the effectively wild guys got to be tough to hit down there. Did you see any of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see. I saw a lot of that. I was, I always, and even in college, you know, uh, the thing I had when I was in college was if you get a fastball, don't miss. And that's what I always told myself, don't miss. So down in Arizona, in rookie ball, you know, you have a lot of these guys who just throw. They they can throw the hell out of the ball. They they run it up to ninety seven miles an hour. They have no clue where it's going. Right. <laughs> but you know, which which I agree, it it makes it hard. Like, how am I supposed to sit on the pitch if it can end up being in my back or it can end up being a strike on me out of black? But uh, you know, I, I kind of just told myself, we get to a fastball count, don't miss, and uh, it worked out for me. You know, they they threw a lot of fastballs down there, and I think leading into it, I think that's the biggest difference between rookie ball short season is. The all-speed pitches are more consistent. Pitchers have a more better feel for that. Yeah. Not that they didn't throw any down in Arizona because they did. But at the same time, everybody's kind of just trying to show that they can light up that radar gun. You kind of had a moment in the season in college this year where, you know, you came up to me and and me being a pitcher, you were standing in the dugout and you didn't get to play one game. And that was the first time in a long time I know you didn't get to start and Looking back on it, I, I remember you talking to me about that and you made some changes in how you were viewing the game. You mind talking about that a little bit? Uh yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean I can I can tell you last time I sat a game before that. Uh you know, my college coach decided to I guess you could say bench me or sit me down for a game and it kinda it kinda stuck with me. It kinda hurt because, you know, of course I wanted to be out there for my team and won the game and I was happy for them, but I in a sense, it's like I hit rock bottom. Uh, I went home that night, and I had to look my parents, call from my parents, and they said, what's, what's wrong? Uh, I just told them there was a simple misunderstanding between me and me and our coach, and, uh, you know, we'll move on from it. But in reality, you know, I sat back after that phone call, and I had to look, and I, I, I thought to myself, like, I really just got benched, and I, I came here to play baseball, and I'm letting other things in the way of me and what I'm trying to do here for myself and my family. And, uh, you know, just telling my mom that I was dense, it, it, it hit a spot, it hit a soft spot for me, you know. And I kind of just moved forward the rest of those days, not holding a grudge against coach or anything like that. But I went out there trying to be the best player I could be to get my goals done because I, I felt like my family deserved better. You know, they don't need to hear that their kid went to school and did something and got benched, you know. So yeah. I kind of just moved forward like – with my family in my in mind, they deserve better out of me. They deserve better representation out of me. They didn't. They didn't need that. So I kind of just went out there and played for them. You know, uh, everything I owe for them. So I just went out there and I just told myself, I'm gonna do what got me here. I'm gonna have fun, but also I I didn't want to let them down in the process. Probably my favorite moment watching you play the last two years of VCU was actually the last out we made as a team. This year, we were in St. Louis playing Davidson. They got, I think we were down by eight at this point in the game, and there was a ball in right center gap. You were shifted to left center, and you laid out and you smashed into the wall. It was probably the best play I ever saw you made. And, and it just showed a lot about your character at that point where you came from, and it just kind of encapsulated your season. Seeing you lay out like that whenever the game was pretty much over, you never give up, but it felt like it was over. So I want to thank you for coming on the show, Logan. I'll talk to you soon, man.
Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Logan again for doing the interview. It was a lot of fun having him on. And actually, after the interview, I'm up in Massachusetts visiting my host family. I want to thank Logan again for doing the interview. I'm in Massachusetts right now visiting my host family from when I played here last summer. So following the interview, I went and watched Logan play in Connecticut. He played well. He went 3-4 for four with a double, a run scored, and made a diving play. But that's all I have for this episode of the Khaki Sports Podcast. Be sure to catch the next episode. I'm going to have Vinny Luciani back on. He's going to discuss some sports talk and about how things are going at the sports book in Vegas. Thanks for listening.